some ways outside of the archipelago of Hookbar, in an unremarkable patch of ocean, the Sheila is floating in peaceful, serene waters. The sun is starting to dip a little. It's becoming one of those late summer golden sunsets. And Uncle Marv is standing on the back of his boat with a freshly made cup of tea. Uh, he's looking out at the sun and at the gathering storm clouds in the west. And he's just just musing to himself. Under his breath, he's saying, Crashing waves, smashing seas, bringing sailors to their knees as they struggle to save their lives, hoping, praying, help arrives. I think there's something wrong in this tea. Yeah, I think this is decaf. What how those boys are doing. He looks down at a large shifting shadow below the boat. He goes, yeah, it's a big fish. <laughs> Deep, deep below on the floor of the ocean, jammed in a cleft of the reef is the remains of the split fin submarine. About midway up the submarine on the second level is Ernest and Alistair. They're in a hallway that is branching in four different directions. Ahead of them, there are several indistinct shadowy figures standing in the blinking red light. Behind you, framed in the bulkhead doorway that separates this portion of ship from the other, is the tattered remains of a diving suit that seems to have some kind of fungal entity growing inside it that has consumed whoever once inhabited it. It stands silently in the doorway. To your right, there is a door that says communications hub. To your left, there is another stretch of hallway that is dark. It is a web of black mold and fungus. What is Ernest doing? Ernest is going to, in a split second, decide, I don't really want it coming through that door, and is going to try and slam it closed. We will make opposed checks to see who is faster. Ten. Two. Ooh! <laughs> you dive forwards and swing this bulkhead door closed. This is a heavy door with a large lever to lock the seals uh, to prevent flooding between different sections of the ship. As you swing it closed, the head, the cracked, smashed dome of the diving helmet turns in your direction and you can see slithers of bone around this mold and moss that seems to be growing inside this suit. It turns your way and starts moving, trying to put its body through the crack of the closing door. As it does, its hands close around the door as you swing it closed. With the momentum behind the door, you take three fingers off the suit. They're crushed in the door. They hang there. They don't fall, but they hang crushed in the door as you wrench this lever closed. Okay, is there a way I can lock it? Mm, that would require a tinkering roll. I'm going to... To figure out how you could try and 
barricade it from this side. I'll flick my head over to Alice and say, can you, can you work out a way to, to lock it? It's uh, uh, lost its fingers, yep. so it might not okay. be able to open it, but um, the fingers are twisting and writhing in this crushed door. Alice to lock it! So Alice is gonna, he's still pointing forward the way he was, but he's gonna start backing up towards Ernest and say, there's something in the corridor ahead of me. I don't know what. Uh, okay, okay, I'll, I'll uh, look, I'll look. Okay, okay, and, okay. Ernest uh, 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 is gonna swing around, still holding the harpoon gun, is gonna look down the corridor. Uh, roll for me. Nat 12. You look down the corridor, Ernest, and you strain your eyes trying to, to see into the shadows, the alternate red and black of the light, but you don't see anything. Mr. Pop. As Alistair's trying to lock the door, he's going to ask about the other corridor that was on Ernest's left with the web. Because he, like, sees that as he walks past. He's like, was there any more that way? The web appears to be breathing. There's a gentle rise and fall, almost like it expands and contracts minutely. But other than this, you don't see any movement. You don't see anything that looks like it could come get you, really. Ernest calls back. Uh, it's, it's breathing. Or uh, moving in the... Can there be wind? Moving in the wind or something like that, but I don't see anything else. Okay, well, let's assume we're safe for now. Um, and How, How's the door going? Alice is going to roll to see if we can lock the door. Do you want me to roll, or because I have tinkering, do I roll with advantage? Um, you're going to roll with advantage. Okay. A six. Uh, with a six, you can basically pull this as far forward as you can and try to hook... A piece of wire uh, that you find on the ground around it. It's not surefire. A fair amount of force could break this, but for the moment, that's the best you can do. All right. Uh, well, this it's not going to hold forever, but as long as that we thing's need not to. We gotta go. too strong, it's, it's stuck. Uh, are we going to look through the comm room? The door shudders as if something's impacted it from the other side and you hear a little squeal of metal, but nothing happens. Okay, let's uh, be quite quick about this. Okay, well, I'll hold the door. You go and check in the in the comms room. Yep, all right. So Alistair's gonna head straight back down t- towards the three figures and then turn to the right yep. uh, into the door that's marked the comms room. Ernest will put his weight against the door with the harpoon gun in one hand and put his hand, kind of locking his wrist against the frame of the door, putting his hand on the first turning part of the, the door. All right. So using like, the bo- like his entire is, bone to hold it. Yeah, he is aiding the lock, essentially mm-hmm. what you've tried to lock. Okay. All right, Alistair, as you approach the door, you see that where there should be a door handle, there is a keypad with Greek alphabet on it. Shit. (laughs) Uh, And so what we will say is if you want to try and break into this locked room, uh, we are going to use a similar mechanic that we used. I'm going to say if you get an 11 or a 12, you can figure out what four buttons you need to press in some order. Below that, you are going to have to basically try to figure it out more from luck. 
So I'll roll a luck roll to see if there's anything. Yeah, you're looking what for clues before yep. you try. So an 11 or a 12. Uh, I got a 10. All right. That's not going to so do it. So close. Okay. What that's we're right. going to do instead is similar to the drag racing mechanic. I'm going to give you a handful of D6s and I'm going to set the difficulty rating for this door at a 50. Okay. So you just need to choose how many and you need to come within 10. So if you get between 45 and 55, you will be able to open the door. If you get over, you break the keypad and it's locked and would need to be forced open physically. Okay. If you get underneath, it just remains locked and you can only try three times. Right, how many are you rolling? Okay, I'm rolling 11. 37. Oh. <laughs> All right, you roll under. As you, as you press each button, it presses in and stays in to this pad with a mechanical thunk as they're heavy weighted keypads. Once you've pressed all four, you kind of picked a random number that you think will be... Uh, it's a memorable one when it comes to your mind. You put it in... Uh, there is a beep. There is a little flashing light next to the pad. It flashes red and nothing happens. Okay. Uh, how many did I do last time? 11. 11. Okay. So I'm going to roll an extra. So 12 D6s this time. 45. 45. Exactly 45. After your first failure, you sit, you think, you ponder over what could be the most reasonable code and you are looking at a Greek alphabet. You basically hold your breath and you try what seems like the most natural finger combination for what would flow best. And it clicks. You hear the thunk, the light turns green, and the bolt inside this mechanism opens and the door begins to swing open a little. Ernest, I, I got it. Cool. I, I was I waiting in there. Uh, let me have a look. I push the door open and I step inside. All right, what you see is a fairly small room, but long. On both sides of this room, which is really more like a hallway, there are old-fashioned computers. There's about six terminals in here, three on each side. There's not really a lot you would consider a screen. There's a lot of readouts that kind of show pressure gauges and different systems. It's hard to know exactly what this room was used for. Room says communications hub, but this technology does not really look like anything you know. And there are two dead crew members in here, both slumped in chairs. Okay, I'm going to first roll to investigate the bodies to see yep. if there's scary stuff on them. Uh, it's an eight, which is a success. Uh, with an eight, you kind of very quickly check them over. You see no mold, you see nothing, and you know that this door was locked from the inside, so... It is more possible that they died from starvation or radiation. Ernest uh, calls out. Is there any? Is there any doors or anything? Because we're we're kind of trapped in here. If we don't find a door, uh, uh, no, there's no other door in here. There are a pair of bodies, but they're not like they're clean. They're safe. That's so good. I'm gonna have a quick look, but I don't think there's no way out here. So I think we either have to brave whatever's beyond us in the corridor or go down the stairs. So I'm gonna roll to see if there's. Something I would obviously, because obviously I don't have a lot of time, mm -hmm. that I could like either like maybe a printout or just something that I can take that might give me information. Um, I do have a computer with skill, but I don't know if that's going to count given that this is very old. Equipment. This will count, so you can okay. roll with advantage to find things. If you're just joining us, advantage means I roll twice and take the highest of the two rolls, <laughs> which is a four in this case. How? Right. How? 
With a four, you only find, you only see one thing. This technology is not only old, it's not even what normal old computers you have seen photos of look like. It's like these a Commodore things, 64. <laughs> these things are far more compact than the the room size computers you have seen photos of from the 60s and 70s. This looks more like the inside of a moon probe or something from the 50s. This looks like space age Very technology. Advanced. Okay. advanced but old. Advanced what for you that time, do yeah. find is that in front of one of these skeletal remains of the crew members, uh, there is a flashing green light uh, next to what you can really recognize as being a radio system. Okay. Uh, is, there a, is there a button or a... Yeah. I push said button. All right. There is a garble of crackling static... And then you hear familiar words in a familiar panicked voice. Vessel in distress. Repeat, vessel in distress. This is the SSG split finger. Immediate assistance. Hull breach. Pressure loss. Coordinates are 41.4907. Immediate assistance. This is the SSG split fin. Please, for the love of God, some. Then there is a squealing sound of metal, and you hear a scream and nothing else. Okay. And you look at the crumpled bag of bones that is this crew member in the chair. Okay. I kind of slowly put the receiver down. I'm like, okay. I don't think there's much else that I can gain from this room that I can get quickly. And I turn around and head back out to the corridor. I'm like, uh, I don't think it would take me hours to deconstruct the systems. So I, we don't have that time. So I reckon we, we keep moving. So you don't have like a file cabinet or no, something? Just banks of computers that are not like anything I've seen from the period. So it would take we, me too long. Could we like, uh, Ernest points at the door to us and was like, okay, you hold it. I'll have a quick look. Uh, okay, if you want. I mean, I don't, I don't think you're going to find anything, but it's worth a try. Ernest pushes into the the communications room and has a look around and he moves over, sees the same blinking light on the radio, but doesn't want to break anything, so he doesn't touch it. Uh, he's going to have a look around, though. For- Alice just calls out. It was, like, it was just the recording of the distress call. I did listen to it. It's just the same one we heard from Herb's station. Okay, okay. Uh, he's going to have a look around for one of those tapes. All right, you can roll. That's a nine. All right, with a nine, uh, you find close to the ground there is a section of panel in one of these computers uh, that has obviously like opens up and you see inside it there are rolls of maybe film, maybe it's hard to tell exactly what this could be. This is a little bit old even for your outdated technology (laughs) sensibilities. (laughs) Uh, But you can find a spool of something like film in there, yeah. Okay, Ernest collects it all up opens up his suit and stuffs them into it and then closes them up again. Okay. He's going to look now at the two dead workers, officers, whatever they are, and is going to think back to what he did with Alistair and also what happened in the cave. He doesn't quite understand what he's able to do or how he's able to activate it, but he reaches out with a gloved hand and taps 
one of the dead bodies. All right, make a roll for me. A natural 12. Oh. All right. As you tap, you get a sensation of heat and of fear. There's a smell that comes through like sweat and just panic. And that's with a very, very brief tap. But if you lay just your fingers over the hand of this skeleton, you begin to tip backwards as you have before. You tip back in your mind and for a moment, you are the one in the chair. You are the one recording this outgoing message. You can hear the yell voice of your supervising officer telling you to put it on repeat to send the signal. You can hear something banging on the door. And as your voice quavers in the end of this message, you set it as permanently outgoing. And then the voice in your head that is not your own voice, it's the same voice that recorded this message. You just hear the words, Rosie, I'm so sorry. And then you tip back into your own body and you are earnest again. He snatches his hand away from the body, almost like a, when you touch a trampoline, an electric shock type of thing, and looks at the body. Rosie. Did you find anything? Yeah, I found some... Uh, <clears throat> some types of tape things. Uh, okay, that's that's good. Yeah. yeah. Okay, we, we gotta go. Uh, Alistair's just gonna roll to see if I see any movement or change in the three on the corridor to my right. All right, three figures. I got three. Now, they're the same. Okay. <laughs> Alistair's gonna move out of the corridor and wait for Ernest. Or out into the corridor and wait for Ernest. Ernest meets him and starts up the stairs. All right, you're going up or down because they do go both ways. Which way did we come? We came up. You went we? up to this because you came in at the bottom level. You've gone up and it goes up again or down again. Uh, stops at the stairs. One going up, one going down. Looks at Alistair. Do we have enough? Do we know enough? Uh, or can we go? I don't think we got anything useful. So, And if it comes down to a fight, I'd probably rather be on the high ground. I don't know. What do you think? It's a submarine. I don't think it matters. High ground or low ground. They're just corridors. Okay, let's go up. Okay. All right. You tramp up these metallic stairs. They clang under your boots and the sound reverberates through what is essentially a stairway. As you uh, get further up, Alistair, roll for me. Okay. 12. All right. Uh, <laughs> this is the opposite of finally. last, last <laughs> session's rolls. This yeah. is the opposite. Uh, as who is leading the way, by the way? Ernest. As usual. Uh, Ernest, Ernest is focused on the stairs and getting up, but from below you see another spreading clump of this strange mold on the ceiling of this section of stairwell. And in it you again see the remains of a human body stuck to the ceiling. Ernest, stop. Ernest, stop, stop, stop. There's... Look up. Ernest looks up. Great. Well, I don't really want to... Unless we're leaving, I don't want to go down because down is where whatever type of generators will be. Yep. So this will get worse if we go down. Let's just keep an eye on it. And he's going to keep going up. If it moves, 
burn it. <laughs> we'll see if that works. All right, as you both go underneath this thing, you kind of have to duck a little to make sure that you your head's nowhere near it. I want you both to roll saves for me. <laughs> I want both of you to take a d6 damage for me. What? What? That's a success. Not in this instance. There's a success, man. There's a sign up on the wall that says <laughs> 8 between 11 is a success, Aubrey. D6, please. Okay. Four. Four. Three. Wow. Four. Wow. All right. As you uh, duck underneath, you feel the tendrils of this sort of hanging mold, this bacteria uh, brush against your suits and as it does you try to stay as low as you can but it's hard to get exactly underneath it you hear the minutest of hisses and you see that this stuff is trying to eat into your diving suits not into your wetsuit gears but into the actual suits that you found inside the ship itself and it begins to burn through onto your skin okay um here is the way mechanically this is going to work every five minutes you're going to take another d6 of acid damage until you do something to get this stuff off your skin uh well i guess i'm gonna like push Ernest further in to the corridor to get away from it and like move forward myself to get away from the clump first of all mm-hmm. let me move out of the way Ernest is going to feel the pain kind of roll his shoulders it's like <sighs> well let's see if this works i will say Access now it. because you both rolled above a seven uh, there was no damage done to your tanks or any of your hoses. It just burnt you. Yep. Okay. If you had rolled poorly, it would have damaged your actual diving equipment. Ooh, okay. <laughs> okay, I'm going to use my first aid ability to right. do this. All right, so roll okay. with advantage to do this, because this is a bit out of the realms of normal first aid, but... And then 11. Yeah, you have enough knowledge to know that whatever this stuff is, it's corrosive and it's nasty, and you need something to clean it. And you know that getting this stuff off is the first method, but then you're going to need something to clean it. So you manage to peel away the section of suit that got damaged, and you can see as you peel it away, the burnt hole has stuck to the skin. That bit of fabric is eating into the skin as well. And you can see the angry red mark. And it feels more like you've been splashed with hot oil. This is sort of a an unpleasant burning okay. or like bad sunburn alright I uh, give the, the knife to Alistair and talk him through how to do the, the same thing to me so does that mean I roll with advantage for him as yeah, well yeah he's told sh- you Yeah. <laughs> that's just as well 12 Woo! alright you managed to get as much of this off as you possibly can the, the black stringy sticky gunk comes off with the knife and you flick it onto the ground where it seems to doesn't seem to be burning the metal. It seems to only be reacting with organic matter. Uh, so you managed to get it off. The burning sensation uh, recedes, but you can tell that it's still there. And, and Ernest knows that this is if this is acid damage of some kind, you need to clean this stuff. You need to rinse it either with water or some other kind of compound that's designed for cleaning wounds. Okay. Yep. Ernest will zip up his suit and start hurrying along the corridor again. Yep. Uh, Alistair does the same and follows him keeping very close eye on the massive goo that they've passed. Uh, you are now in another corridor and you are heading deeper into the submarines. You're again heading down, heading for the front of the ship. You 
come along this corridor, it bends right. There's an unmarked door in front of you that you can see rust and part of the actual wall, what would be to the exterior of the ship, has crumpled in slightly, bending the frame around this door, making it not an option for you guys. You turn left and start heading further into the ship itself. And you come to a very large door. This is another bulkhead. Uh, and above it, you can see etched into a plaque is bridge. I think this is what we need. A bridge? What's Bridge is like, like the, the driver's seat, basically. All right. Like the command room. Let's go. All right. You swing this door open straight away. I need to take a d6 of radiation damage. Of course. Naturally. Anyone want to guess what I rolled? Six? Yep. Jeez. You say you're full in the face. You feel this wave of illness rolling over you as this door has not been opened for a long time. As you kind of recoil from this and the door opens further, you can see that this is a bridge not dissimilar to what you have seen photos of in other submarines, even in movies and things. It is a fairly large room that has what you would assume are computer panels, although similar to the communications hub, they're not what you would normally expect. Lines the walls, there are several different stations. In the center is a periscope and a captain's chair. You can see that there's lots of different bits of technology and roll for me. Three. Three. Uh, there's definitely a couple of crew members in here. You can see some slumped. It's hard to really to tell exactly how many as you are kind of reeling from this pain. Yep. I'm going to call you like, what, Ernest, don't come in. Don't come in here. Are you, you're, you're right? Yeah, oh, I'm fine. I think uh, the, no, it's spreading. This is radiation. It's moving down the corridor. Yeah, so but Ernest I was going to take it as well. I wouldn't think of that straight away. All right. It's like, uh, I think it's, I think it's got more radiation in here. Just be careful. Don't come in. Had to do chest. Oh, six. Oh, nice. <laughs> Right, this same wave rolls over you. You feel your hair stand on end and this sick feeling in your gut. You feel a sort of dryness in your mouth like you're going to retch. All right, <laughs> we need. We have to be quick. Yep, yep, quick. Okay, um, I am going to roll with advantage because of my computer whiz stuff to have a mm -hmm. look. And I guess also... So you shouldn't ask Aubrey, you should tell Aubrey. Aubrey, advantage. I'm rolling with advantage. And also because it's the bridge of a sub, so it would be easier to tell what the important bits are, I guess. Uh, that's a 10. With a 10, you start, you just pick the closest computer and you start working your way along looking for anything that is familiar. And you see a lot more here that does seem to be familiar. You see what is clearly a sonar set up, another one that's clearly radio. You get to a few things that you do not understand. And just roll for me for ve one very specific check to roll. Okay. A six. Uh, all right. With a six, you do not know what this next terminal is, but you spot the logo uh, embossed on the metal that says Ilios. Okay. I'm immediately going to take notice of that and go over to it and start looking for anything that I can switch it on or take out of it or that's sitting on top of it, anything like that. All right. Running with your 10, you may not know exactly what this computer is or what it does, but you recognize a floppy disk drive when you see one. Floppy disk from the 50s? Yes. Wow. Okay. But this is not the 90s. This one is the size of a book. 
<laughs> this is a chunky floppy disk. Okay. Um, I guess I'm gonna. Mm, I'm. I don't know if I should take the floppy disk out or if I should try and take the whole thing because I'm not gonna be able to read it on anything. Uh, that's true. As in, like the whole reader and. Oh, the whole reader. Give me a tinkering skill. Um, advantage. Roll. You could probably find adapters. Not with advantage because this is not technology you know. So. Okay. You're going to do your best to try and get the reader out of it as well, but you don't know what everything it's connected to. So hopefully, if not, you will you can still take the reader, whether it's completely usable or it's going to need repairs is okay. what this role is going to determine. But it's probably not going to damage the, the disc, at least. No, you've taken okay. the disc out. It's fine. <laughs> it breaks in half. I got a two. Years a two. It's not coming out for some reason. You've got to put your foot against it. <laughs> You There's kinda, a fan art moment right there. Yeah, you put your foot on the machine, you're yanking at this sort of chunk of the computer, and then you hear a screech of metal and a snap and it comes out and there's a couple of cords missing and there's a bit of like a bent bracket where whatever it was affixed <laughs> to has come out. Like, that'll do. I turn around holding like the half-broken reader with the wires like hanging out everywhere and I turn around and grin at Ernest and I'm like, yep, got it. I think we're good. Right, Ernest, roll for me. Yeah, Alistair yanks this thing out with a clang, <laughs> like holds it above his head. He's like, ah, I got it. All right, Ernest, I got this. I think it's the same as what was on that, that laptop, but this I'm just going to have a... going to shoot his harpoon. Another quick right. look. Uh, uh, Alistair's holding this thing above his head. Uh, Al- Alistair, you, you are just this moment of triumph. It might not have come out perfectly, there's going to be some repairs needed. But it's a but, win. But this is a serious win. And then you're you're talking to Ernest. Ernest looks at you. Ernest raises his harpoon gun. Ernest fires the harpoon gun. And you freeze in place as it slips right underneath your arm, nearly touching your elbow, and buries into something behind you. As you turn around, you can see that this harpoon is buried in the head of one of these crew members that slumped in a chair. Okay, yeah. Can you grab my harpoon? And get out! How far is the harpoon away from me? Oh, like a meter and a half. I it gra- was not okay. far from you. I'm gonna grab it and pull it. Alright, you, um, the, the harpoon hit with a lot of force and it smacked the head of this thing into the control panel in front of it. Ooh, maybe I should leave it there then. As you go to reach it and just to see if it will come out, you grab the end of the harpoon and you give it a little a little tug and there's a sickening squelch sound and a little wrenching as it comes free of the panel and then the hand of the creature grabs your wrist. I'm going to get you to make an, an opposed strength check to see if you can pull out of its grip. Okay. Three. Yeah, I got a six. It grabs your wrist and it pulls you forwards towards its face. As this thing <laughs> grabs, pulls you forwards, you are falling, basically, towards the smashed glass and the fetid air of this mold. It seems to coalesce, almost like a flower opening up, trying to get your face into it. As you do this, 
you just put all of your body weight and the momentum of your fall behind the harpoon that is still stuck through its head. And as you fall, you drive the harpoon into the control panel and you stop inches away from the opening mouth of this thing. Yep. And a shadow moves over you with a 10. Ernest comes over with the machete that he was given and cuts into its arm. That's a six. All right, you cut the whole hand off. Hey. I cut its hand off and like wrap my arm around Alistair's stomach and pull him back from it. Right, as you're pulling it back, this thing's head is pinned to the board. Its arm drops to the ground and out of the sleeve where the arm was, you cut it off just below the elbow. Strings of mucus almost are, are falling. And as they do, they start to move like tendrils trying to find the rest of its arm. And when it can't find it within reach, it starts wrapping back up the arm as if it's trying to grow some kind of new limb. We've, uh, we've got what we need. We should go yep, and lock let's, the door. Let's get out. Let's get out. As you start backing up, uh, it rolled high enough. It wrenches its head out of the harpoon. The harpoon stays buried in the console. Its head slides out and this thing stands. Its head is on a weird angle now and it's looking directly at you and it's going to start moving after you. We are going to get out of the room and lock the door as quickly as possible. <laughs> All yes. right. Competed rolls to see if you can lock the door before it gets to you. Do we combine? Because we're both helping. Combine, yeah. I got a 10. Oh, four. Yeah, that beats the 11 that it got. Ooh, that was close. <laughs> okay. All right. <laughs> so, Ernest dragging Alistair as Alistair kicks the door closed. Yeah, no, I like, I wrap, as he's pulling me out, I wrap my foot <laughs> around the edge of the door and like pull it closed with my foot. Right, again, this thing almost makes it to the door in time. You slam the large bulkhead closed and you it's too thick. You cannot hear any sound from the other side. Okay, we are going now. We're going now. Ernest, you are just... You are uh, focused on your breathing, on staying calm. You are still holding Alistair around the waist. Like, you're kind of bear-hugging him around the stomach. <laughs> um, Alistair's tapping on him. He's like, sorry, you, you can let go now, buddy. It's all good. Right, so you're going the other way? Mm. Yep. All right, you're descending into the dark where the light is broken. Uh, what you can see oh, joy. here is basically <laughs> another stairwell. This one is heading in the opposite direction. You're heading back towards the crashed end of the ship. Uh, and this one doesn't head to the second floor. This one heads straight down to the third. They seem to be differing heights to going to different sections of the ship. And as you clatter down this staircase, trying to be quiet, uh, there doesn't seem to be any more of that mold, any of those kind of growing spots. You've round another corner and you are now in a strange scene. This is a larger open room. It looks like it was once probably a point where several different uh, corridors and areas interconnected. You're in sort of a shared space. 
the light here is still working. It is flashing red dimly. And in this winking red light, you can see that there was another large door. This one, you would guess, this is probably two stories down, directly below the bridge. This would probably be the bottom part of the submarine. And what you see ahead of you is another one of these bulkhead doors, but this one has been broken down. It is broken forward into this room. And you can see several crushed skeletons and broken bits of diving suit underneath this door as if people were in front of it when it came down. The room that this door was once connected to is lit and it's not the flashing red light. This is just one continual glowing yellow light inside this room. Okay, so something's pushed it towards the room we're in. Something has broken the door down. From where the yellow from light within. is. And if there's bodies around it, that means they were trying to keep it closed, I assume. Mm-hmm. But the door is open now. Oh, okay. Alistair takes a step forward towards it and points to it. It's like, it looks like something broke out of there. Maybe the mold stuff was on board the ship originally in that room and it escaped. Maybe that's what happened. Well, it's it's probably just a mutation from all the radiation. Like, radiation does crazy stuff. It could just been like an explosion. This could be in a room where people were in and when the radiator or something, or like the engines exploded, it broke the door open. That's true. And that's why there are dead bodies here. Yeah, but there's, there's light. Which means there's electricity. So, like, surely if there was an explosion, it would have destroyed or that. Maybe radiation. That's okay. Yeah. We're gonna slowly walk forward. We're gonna have a look right. on through. All right, both of you can roll investigations. Alistair, you sidestep the skeletal remains and the door. You step over it into the entrance to this room, and what you see is that this is the same size and shape as the bridge high above but it's a compact space filled with racks of shelving. The entirety of this space seems to be filled with long glass cylinders with metal caps at the end. You are looking. You would suspect these are probably some kind of specimen jars. Okay. A whole room of them. Looking around, most of them are broken with various kinds of mold and things growing out of them. The glass, some of them, the glass is all but disappeared into the mold that has grown around them. And it has grown into a canopy in the roof above. But this goes deeper still. There is a light on further down and you can see that there is racks of shelving that have fallen over. There's smashed things all over the ground. Um, but you can see that the light comes from deeper in and you can hear something, but you can't put your finger on it, not with a five. Ernest, you do see all of this, but you are a little more cautious, a little more focused you see that one of the figures, one of the skeletal remains underneath the door that is only partially crushed from the waist down, you can see the helmet and you can see the torso of the suit and you can see the name tag on the suit uh, that says E.O. Hunt. And just points at the body and says to Asta, Hunt. As in executive officer. The split figure, huh, right? Yeah, there. Oh. Right. Okay. So she was in this room. Are there any in close, like, that I would see? Are there any intact specimen 
containers. Make a roll for me to see if you can find an intact one. Also a five. Uh, not with a five, no. Okay. You find some, definitely. You find some intact ones that are empty. You find some full ones that are broken. You don't find anything that looks like something you could get out with. I turn to Ernest. I'm like, is there a point trying to look for an, like one of these to bring back? Like, I don't know if I want to be carrying that, but it could be pretty. I mean, I don't, I'm not coming down here again. That's for certain. But what, what are we bringing back? And I kind of tap on the, the canisters that are in my suit. I was like, we've got... Hopefully, the information we came here to find. I don't... Yeah, I guess... They were trying to keep this door closed. Yeah, I guess it didn't work out for them storing what whatever if we, this What is. if we drop it in the water or break it on the way out? Yeah, and what if They we, were trying to keep this door closed. What if we bring it back to the island and it gets out? I feel like whatever's on this ship needs to stay on uh, this ship, yeah. guarded by its little leviathan. Okay. Alice is going to walk over to the body and have a look at it because just because he knows that name. So he's going to investigate that. Ernest is going to walk into the room a little bit and look around. Be mm -hmm. careful, Ernest. <laughs> Alistair, you, you do see the body that Ernest was talking about. You see that the name tag is on there. That's definitely a dead person. All right, I'm going to take the name tag off. All right. I rolled a one. The fog in my face is too much. I can't see anything. Right, now what you see is that the deeper into this room it goes, the more mold there is, and it hangs down like a stringy sort of curtain that's blocking most of your view. Ah, nothing in here. There's more of that mold stuff. You hear breathing. From deeper in. And this backs up back into the main room and looks at Alistair. I can hear breathing. I can... I can, I can... As in breathing, breathing, or mold respiration? Well, it's not going to be breathing, breathing. It is not the same sound as the mold. The mold was more like a movement in air as this thing lived, fluxed. Okay. Those creatures that have attacked you made no sound, did not breathe. It's, it's what the DM said. <laughs> okay, so it's something else. Yeah. All right. Alice is going to walk into the room. Right, you see the same thing, this sort of canopy overhead of mould. This is not black mould, by the way. This is white-ish stuff, oh, green-tinged. Okay. There are definitely black spots here and there, but it is different, and it is hanging down almost like a canopy down into the room itself. You have to push through to actually get deeper in. Okay, I'm going to take up my knife and... <laughs> I'm, I'm going to use my knife to move it out of the way and move in closer so that I'm not touching it with my glove. Right. Is, Alice, is Ernest following? Mm-hmm. Right. You try and part the sort of curtain of stringy spores gently and you move further in. And what you can see now is that the light is coming from uh, a bulb in the ceiling. It seems to be the only one that is still on. And as you move deeper into this space... What you realize is that there was all this sample storage, but deeper in seems to actually be some form of laboratory, research station. Uh, there are machines here that look like they are probably for running tests. There is not free beakers and chemistry kits and stuff that just would not function, but there are work tables. 
What you see here is that you are almost standing now on a blanket of mold. This stuff is white, like chalk white with a yellow-green tinge to it. And it is spread all over the walls and all over the ceiling and is hanging down in these uh, ropey strings. In the very centre, at the very back of the room, the mold grows more and more and you see, again, it's not dissimilar to what you've seen before, uh, you can see a skeleton curled and cocooned inside the mold. And you can see the mold around these poking bits of skeleton, breathing, fluxing. I was going to look at the, the skeleton and is going to say, Hello? As you speak, you see that the mold around it the, the bits of skeleton that you can see, you can kind of see an arm that seems to be wrapping around itself. You can see the side of a face. You can see a leg where this thing has... This person has tried to curl themselves into a ball and the mold has kind of grown around them and whatever else has faded away. The head of the skeleton moves to look at you and you can see almost the semblance of a face in the mold. The features are almost there still, but horribly sort of puffed and disfigured from the mold growing on it. Alistair instinctively takes a step back and puts his hands out and he's like, if you can understand us, we won't hurt you. Right, you hear this muffled, rasping breathing. Uh, we're here to try and find out what happened here Duh. I mean it disappeared we wanted to find out we, we heard a distress call there are a lot of things happening where we live and we're hoping you might make you might help us make sense of it that's all we're not here to hurt you we're not here to alright as you continue to talk it moves. You can see that it starts this, what looks like the face and the figure, the humanoid part starts to peel itself out of the wall, out of everything that's grown around it. And it rolled really well to see if this would work. It basically detaches itself from the rest of the mold. These sort of strings, almost like hair, connecting almost every part of its body back to the mold itself and it kind of sloughs to the ground and then begins to move as it tries to use the bones that are still in it to support itself as it stands. This is not dissimilar from what the suits were doing, but this is different. This again is a white greenish mold until this thing is standing before you, partly skeleton face, partly the semblance of features. Ernest reaches around and taps on Alistair's crossbow and is going to pull out his bear spray and lighter behind his back and is going to talk again using silver tongues. We're here just to try and work some things out. But we've had a pretty rough time here, so I apologise if we're a bit on edge. We don't want to hurt you. Alright. Uh is still breathing this this rasping sound. 
and you can almost tell that there are words flowing through, but it's, it can't seem to make itself understood. Its own physiology, the, the body that this thing has is not capable of enough articulation to speak properly. Instead, it extends a hand, the exposed bone in the mold, and it sends it to you, Ernest. Now roll for me. Nine. You make out between the sort of rumbling grasps. Ernest taps again on Alice's crossbow and then reaches out of his arm. Alistair aims his crossbow at the creature, but he doesn't fire. And it's like E.T. touches the fingers. All right, you let your fingertip brush the knuckle bone on this hand. And normally the sensation is of a tipping out of your body, a little bit like you are letting yourself fall into water. As you begin this process, you begin to fall, and then it's like something grabs hold of you and begins to try and pull you down. Something is trying to connect with you through this. Are you going to let it do it? Mm -hmm. All right. You begin to fall and you start rushing through memories. You rush through memories of wheat standing as high as your shoulder, of a dog rubbing its head against your leg. You drop through memories of books, the smell of a library. You feel sensation after sensation and memory after memory of someone's life but so fragmented that there's almost nothing left and then you reach a voice and for Alistair's benefit this voice comes out of Ernest's mouth but he is speaking differently it's not Ernest's normal tones it's a register is a little bit higher than Ernest normally is and he says you should never have come here my work my life's work is an abomination. God is punishing me for what I did. You must never, ever let it reach the mainland. If you can find my name anywhere, in any book, in any library, tear it from the page. Alistair thinks for a moment and he thinks back to the library and what he found and the names of John Cavendish and Exo Hunt. And he thinks, and he goes, Dr. Vaughan. The creature who's still just maintaining this tiny contact with Ernest, the head turns and you can see the skeletal jawbone, the fleck of a nose, you can see the jawbone exposed, the rounded socket of an eye, and the rest that is sort of this squished, molded semblance of features. The head turns to look at you, and Ernest's voice in this strange, strangled tone says, Yes. Alistair nods. I will do everything I can to make sure nobody comes here ever again. We had a hard enough time finding it ourselves. And he's going to open his diving suit enough to show the floppy disk mm -hmm. record player thing and go, 
what's the Elios program? That, that was Ajax's work, not mine. He created the most advanced piece of software I'd ever seen in my life. It consumed him. And he, the, the face that is looking in your direction sort of drops a little and rises to look at the ceiling and then back to you and says, I suppose my work did much the same. It would appear so. Thank you. Okay. Uh, what is happening to the archipelago? He seems to consider you for a moment or two. He says, The tide is rising. All is going to disappear. Reclaimed by the sea. It's waking. It's all waking. There is nothing that you can do. Just run. Run and hide. No, there has to be... There has to be a way to stop Mother, to stop the tide. How, how do I... How do I, how do I stop it? You cannot stop what's already in motion. It is the tide. It is the archipelago. No, that, that can't be right. There has to be, like, I could run, but no one's going to believe me. There has to be a way, but okay. Do you know about the boy? Wilbur. And if so, why is he so important? I know no boy. I know only the voice, the tide that crashes upon my mind. He wants only to reclaim itself. Elsa thinks for a second, he nods. He says, okay. You said that your life's work is, and I gesture to the mold, an issue. What else were you doing here? Or was that it? What was what was the purpose of this submarine? I was following the voice. The others were looking for a weapon. Something to turn the tide of a war that hadn't even started. But they found more than they could reckon with. So you, you heard this voice before, before, you know, <laughs> I look at the, <laughs> the moldy face before you were what you are now. It called me. It spoke to me in dreams. The tide? Yes. Okay. Is my friend Ernest going to be okay? To the best of my knowledge. He has a voice, too. What do you mean? Like, he, I, I know, but... He can speak. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Great. Uh, how do we get out of here? Is there a good kind of exit? In the nose, at the very front, there is a hatch used for samples. Okay. Thank you. Uh, uh... What can I do for you? Do you want me to leave you here? As you are? <laughs> he kind of 
uh, looks at Ernest and then looks back at Alistair and Ernest's strangled voice says, If you can kill the heart, the reactor, everything will die. But you'll die too. Yes. Thank you. We'll do everything we can. And I am truly sorry for what happened to you. He looks at you, the head sort of droops, almost as if it's trying to nod. Alistair reaches out and is about to take Ernest's hand to gently pull it away, and he goes, one more thing. Do you know anything of the... the tentacle creature? It's... We met it in the blue gull, and I've seen it before. What is it? The head sort of turns as if it's trying to consider and then turns back and says, There are many pilot fish that feed upon the tide. Alistair kind of slumps a little bit as though he's disappointed, but he straightens up again and he goes, Thank you. And he gently grabs Ernest's hand. Right, Ernest, as you disconnect from this creature, you feel that sensation of tipping back, of falling backwards and then out of this sort of oppressive water, and you're back into your own body. Are you okay? Did you uh, hear any of that? Yep, 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 my other. Great, I don't need to explain it. Um, Yeah, crazy time. So, kill the reactor, escape through the nose. Alrighty. Dr. Vaughan, or what's left of Dr. Vaughan, has retreated back to this sort of nest of fungi and mould and has curled back up and lain down in it again. Ernest watches him for a minute. Holds out his hand like in a in a wave type of thing and backs away and smiles at him as he as he goes. Yeah, the one hollow eye socket that you can see stares vacantly as you retreat back out of this little nest. All right, you retreat out. Uh, You begin to thread your way back through these corridors trying to find the reactor, which is not very hard to find because it's very large. You find this room. You find the controls for it, another slumped skeleton. You don't encounter another one of the walking divers you find that there are keys two of them to the reactor core control panel one key is already in it the other one you find in the dead skeleton's pocket together you turn the keys and pull the two levers you can see all the levels that indicate the nuclear core of the the sub begin to drop and you can feel as Uh, things begin to creak almost as if the heat of the reactor was keeping everything living and now the pressure and the cold begins to creep in and you can hear the metal kind of creak a little you begin to thread your way down and forward trying to find the nose you come across another one of the walking suits but it's slow, it's as if it's sluggishly trying to follow you, but its speed is much diminished. As you continue on 
Alistair, you are aware that those three shadows are still somewhere behind you, but they too seem slowed by all of this. You find your way to the nose. You can see there was actually some kind of mechanism here where the split fin opened a bay to bring in samples from outside, a little like a whale's mouth opening to filter seawater through it and collect samples as it went. It's not too hard for you to break open this hatch. You find that there is a pressurizing chamber where things would then be collected from this chamber after the water is filtered out. You you close the door, you set the pressure. With the last of the power, you are able to let this chamber fill and you open through a small hatch at the very nose and you are down out into the open water of the crevice that the nose is buried into. It is dark all around you and deep below you. This crack in the ground just seems to go and go and go. Above you there is the faint dim green and gold. Uh, You make a beeline for the surface. Roll perception for me as both of you head up. You can see the, the diving line from the back of Marv's boat in the distance. Seven. Seven? Eight. All right, uh, it's not too hard to notice. As you're about halfway between the the wreck and the surface, you can see the twisting movement of the giant creature again. And then you feel this vibration as there is an explosion on the surface of the water you hear more than you sorry you feel more than you hear the boom and you feel the waves as they shove you backwards and you can see this creature twist and dart and then on the opposite side far distant from the boat you see another a flash above the water and you feel this boom echoing down in the time it takes to get you to the surface there are four of these as you breach the surface, holding on to the guide rope, uh, you are maybe three or four meters behind the Sheila, and you can see Uncle Marv standing on the back of the boat with uh, a cup of tea in one hand and what looks like a World War One grenade, like a stick grenade <laughs> in the other. <laughs> he takes a sip from his tea. and flings another one of these grenades off into the distance and it explodes. <laughs> Alistair takes the mouthpiece out of his, out of his mouth. He's like, Marv! Marv, what the <laughs> hell are you doing? You're going to kill this! And he's like, ah, oh, there you boys are. I was waiting. It's, uh, it took a while. Marv, pressure waves under the water. Yeah, I don't know what those are, Ali. It makes grenades a lot more deadly under the water. Where were down there? Yeah, I know that you were down there, and there was a great big whacking fish under there, too. Yeah, well, I was just keeping him entertained. Don't worry about it. Okay. <laughs> All right. Uh, Alice is going to swim for the boat. All right. As you're swimming up, he, he uh, leans down to give you a hand, uh, not the one holding the teacup. <laughs> he hauls you up onto uh, the boat. You kind of splutter. You're kicking fins. He hauls Ernest up to... And uh, he he surveys the scene, takes another sip of tea. <sighs> so you boys have fun. Now, look, should be straight. Did the yeah. Russians take the sub? The Russians, inconclusive. 
Didn't see any. Damn. Sorry, uh, Marv. We'll get them next time. Yeah, well, next time. <laughs> oh, well. But there was one down there? Oh, there was one down there. A sub, not a Russian. Yeah. Oh, sub okay. Right. Sub. Yep. Well, that means I was right. Now, uh, I think we've got about, I'd say, 20 minutes before uh, Oprah is on. Uh, we're going to miss it. And-, and also the storm, Marv. Oh, yeah. Yeah, the storm's still coming. Uh, he looks, the storm is like radically close and he's like, that kind of crept up on me. I didn't really notice that. I was a little bit too busy. By the way, uh, don't ever tell your dad that I was out here dynamiting fish. You think he'd listen if I told him, Marv? Yeah, that's a good point. That man uh, listens to nothing. Sure as hell doesn't Except listen the to me. Except <laughs> <laughs> Starts walking to the front of the boat. Uh, can we, can we go home now? Yep, boys, I've got some uh, microwave lasagna in the freezer. I reckon that'll warm us up a treat. Now, did I ever tell you about that Bob! time I was in the Merchant Navy? Bob! <laughs> what, Ali, what? Home for dinner, remember? Yeah, home for tea. Right. Yeah, I've got some Go. tea right here. <laughs> All right, he starts turning the boat and can starts heading back towards the archipelago. Dark Tides is Chester Lydon as Ernest Marsh, BJ Ingate as Alice Stone, and me, Aubrey Lydon, as your host and narrator. If you enjoyed this show, please rate and review us on iTunes or wherever else you review things. I don't know if Rotten Tomatoes does podcasts. If they do, uh, give us good things. You can tell your friends and family about us. Uh, if they really like, you know, the physics around diving and submarines, don't, don't let them listen to this episode. And I don't want to hear the feedback. Uh, you can check us out at Patreon at patreon.com slash darktides. Uh, we have a little nest egg of bonus content and specials that are coming out all the time. Uh, we are currently gearing up to expand our Patreon in the coming months, so there'll be even more exciting things to come. Uh, if you want to catch up on news or info about the show or chat with us, uh, you can go to social media at all those different social media places, such as Twitter, Reddit, and Facebook. We are at Dark Tides Pod, or Dark Tides for all of them. You'll find us. Uh, until next week, we will be waiting right here in this room. We're not going to move. We're just going to wait until next time we record. Oh, this is Dark Tides. We've been in here for a week. We're going, let's leave. Bye. 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 Meanwhile, on the island of Hookbar, deep in the mountainous woods, a man is standing watching the storm roll in. He was once Chief Ranger Lester, but those memories, that part of himself that made him Lester, has all but bled away. Now he is just a vessel, and a will controlling him. He watches the storm roll in with eyes glazed with a black mucus. And he can feel the pull on his will. 
telling him the time has come. The tide will rise and all will be consumed. And the tide is rising. <laughs>